Uh, you might find it hard to believe that I'm actually a corn farmer. This year I successfully grew four corn plants, sweet corn plants, in my garden. So um, my family is so excited. Four of the five of us will get to taste the fruits of our labor at some point once we get that picked and ready to go. But my day job is actually uh, an educator in the Newton Public Schools District, and so I'm just adding corn farmer to the list of things that I do. Um, I do love to garden, actually, and I have a really great garden this year, and I love to grow beautiful things. And I think the older I get, uh, the fuller my house gets with house plants. There's something in us, or maybe just me, that is attracted to beautiful spaces, to gardens. And I think it is a good and beautiful thing to exist in a land of bounty and faithfulness and fruitfulness. In the biblical story, gardens are the place where God and humanity dwell together. And it is in these few weeks in Kansas, mostly May and June, when I can actually picture what it would be like to live in a garden. It's lush, there's green grass, beautiful, colorful blooms everywhere, the fragrance of flowers filling the air, the singing of birds in my yard, the rains have come, and the heat has mostly held off. So I can imagine life being lived in a garden. In fact, you may already know that the beginning of our scriptures and the end of our scriptures begins and ends with life being lived in a garden with God. However, and I have a period there, however, most of our lives are not lived in a garden. David spoke last week about the summer slump, and he likened it to the Israelites' famous journey through the wilderness that's recorded in Exodus specifically the battle fought against the Amalekites. That is most certainly a slump. But what about the summer slump that lasts more than a week or two? What about those times where the hard stuff lasts for weeks or even months or even years? I refer to these times of difficulty, especially prolonged difficulty as a wilderness season. And I wonder if you've ever experienced anything like this. Seasons of upheaval and change, of loss and grief, of waiting, health scares with no good answers, family struggles that take years to resolve, job losses, the loss of a beautiful church community, the pandemic. All of these seem to characterize the wilderness the wandering through life, wondering, where is God in this? I don't know about you, but I don't like the wilderness. It feels uncomfortable and confusing. Nothing is familiar. In fact, just like those Israelites in Exodus who looked for food and wanted water and oftentimes just wished they were back in Egypt where things were familiar, in the wilderness, everything looks very unfamiliar. What's hard for me to swallow about that biblical story is that it's not a wilderness that Israel just happened to wander into. 
They were actually led there. So if you brought your Bibles today or have the Bible app, I'd encourage you to join me. We're going to be in Exodus and Numbers, um, following the Israelites' story today. And I think we'll find some surprisingly good news in that story. But first, we have to start with the bad news. At least it felt like bad news when I read it. You might disagree with me on this. We're going to be in Exodus 13, 17 to 18. And it says that when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. And so God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. It seems that this wilderness place was uniquely formative for Israel. And if it is formative for Israel, then it's quite possible that God leads us through wilderness seasons at times too. So what do we do when we find ourselves there? That's the question I want to put before us today. Not because I know the answer. Our family has walked through our own wilderness seasons for the past few years. And I bet that for many of you, you may either find yourself there today or you know exactly what that feels like. We can trust that sometimes God does lead us into these wild places and God allows us to feel that loss and discomfort there. And if this story is a familiar one to you, you know that Israel did finally reach that land that was promised to them. But sometimes that feels pretty far removed from our own experiences. So let me present a different question for you today. One that is more raw and honest and maybe even disturbing. This one might get to the core of that wilderness experience. Is God really trustworthy? And can God really take care of those that we love? The last three verses of Exodus... And we're going to go to chapter 40 now. So if you're following along with me, this is the very end of the book of Exodus. And it says that through all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, which is the place where God dwelled and where Moses would meet with God, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. God camped with them. It is a great comfort to me that God led Israel from Egypt and parted the waters for them to cross through, and then gave them Moses to lead them on their journey. But it is a beautiful thing to me that not only did God do this, but God lived among Israel in the wilderness. And God taught Israel how to live in his presence. As I spent time meditating on these wilderness wanderings, I came across something that was surprising. And it's a piece of the story that I'd love to share with you today. And it actually comes from Numbers. That's a book we don't often find encouraging things in. So that's why I was especially surprised. If you turn to Numbers 22, 
this is continuing to tell the story. Um, and as Israel is making their way through the wilderness up from Egypt north to the promised land, they move from Mount Sinai and they encounter different people groups living there. And so if and when those people or their kings don't let them pass through, the Israelites, at God's direction according to the text, um, go in and take the land. And this happened to a group of Canaanites, to the Amorites, to the Ammonites, and then finally they get to the land of Moab. And by this time, the king of the land of Moab had heard that this mass of people was moving north, taking land and defeating kings. Israel had a reputation. Understandably, there was fear for the kings who were in their path. Numbers 22, verse 3 says that Moab was in great dread of the people because they were many. So the king of Moab named Balak, and I'm going to have Balak be over here. These two names are very similar, so this helps me remember. Balak is the king of Moab, and his last name ends with a K, so K for king. He sends for a famous prophet and soothsayer named Balaam. So Balak, Balaam. Um, Balaam is the one who has a talking donkey. So if you haven't read that story in Numbers, it's a good one. But we're going to not focus on that for today. So apparently Balaam is the habit of being paid to give curses, hence his role as a diviner. And despite Balaam's sketchy profession, in this story, God speaks to him and he actually listens. So here's the story. Balak the king brings the prophet up to a high place and they're overlooking the Israelite camp down below. Balak wants him to curse Israel in order to provide Moab protection from the Israelites. So Balaam, the prophet, or the the soothsayer, has him build seven altars and sacrifice seven bulls and seven rams. And he commits to speaking whatever God reveals to him. In fact, he refuses to curse Israel. And this is in Numbers 23, 8. Instead, Balaam counters, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? And then he goes on to notice how large Israel is. Who can count the dust of Jacob? This echoes the promise made by God to Abram all the way back in Genesis when God told Abram, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So Balaam acknowledges that God has been with Israel through their 400 years of slavery and these weeks or months of wandering. The promise made to Abraham has not been forgotten. As we read on in the text, we realize that Balak the king gets mad at Balaam because he won't curse Israel, and so he tries another tactic. He has a move to a second spot, overlooking Israel, And he builds seven altars and sacrifices seven bulls and seven rams, hoping that this time Balaam will curse Israel. But Balaam meets with God. And he can only speak blessing. Verses 18 to 22. I'll read this one from the message. 
It says, God is not man, one given to lies, and not a son of man changing his mind. Does he speak and not do what he says? Does he promise and not come through? I was brought here to bless, and now he's blessed. How can I change that? He has no bone to pick with Israel. He sees nothing wrong. God is with them, and they're with him, shouting praises to their king. So rather than curse, Balaam affirms through God's spirit that even in this wilderness space, God has not left Israel. He camps among them. This outsider Balaam sees that. Finally, Balak the king gives it one more try. He moves him to a third spot, builds the seven altars, sacrifices the seven rams and the seven uh, cows, <laughs> bulls. <laughs> and this time the text says something interesting. He says that the spirit of God comes on Balaam, the prophet, the soothsayer. And that does not happen very often in the Old Testament. The Spirit of God comes on Balaam and he sets his face toward the wilderness and he sees the vision of the Almighty. So he sees what God is seeing. And this is the part that was astounding to me. Here's what he speaks in verses 24, in chapter 24, verses 5 through 6. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob! Your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Balaam sees with the vision of the Almighty, Israel in the wilderness, camped around the tabernacle. But he doesn't see desolation. And he doesn't see a lack of resources. And he doesn't see barrenness. Instead, he sees a garden. This is Eden imagery for you Bible Project followers. God's people camped together around God's presence. Even in the midst of the most difficult terrain are like a garden. God has never abandoned Israel. So what do we do if we find ourselves wandering in what feels like wilderness? And how do we remain faithful if we don't know where we are and we really don't know how long this will last? And how do we trust God when we're not even sure that God is always at work? I think there's enough to, to, we can pull out of this wilderness story to meditate on for a whole lifetime, but I just want to pull out one thing this morning. I think there's an invitation here. God invited Israel to camp so that they would always be facing his presence. And they literally did that. The 12 tribes camped so that three tribes were on each side of that tabernacle, facing the tabernacle. That was how they set up their physical space. And he invited them to trust him to meet their very real physical needs. Remember that manna story. He gave them rest rather than demanding nonstop productivity. He gifted them with the Sabbath. The invitation to us always, but especially in these barren places, is to structure our time and our space in a way 
that we encamp around the presence of God. Really, it comes down to this. Do we trust God? Do we trust God with our future, with our kids, with our health, with our spouses? And can we live as though God has not abandoned us? As though God walks with us. The Holy Spirit traveling alongside us can create in these desolate places a readiness to be still. The Spirit can give us eyes to see God at work. The patience to wait on God's timing and the joy that, be, that comes from being near to the source of all beauty and goodness and life. These are the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit that grows even in barren places when we encamp around God's presence. And unlike my four corn plants that are growing in my garden, in the garden of God there will be plenty of fruit for us all. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob! Your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. May this be true of us as well, even in the wilderness. Would you close with me in prayer? God who camps among us. We come before you this morning as your people, many of us feeling disoriented, carrying pain and grief and anxiety. Sometimes the landscape looks so unfamiliar. And yet we know that this entire creation is yours, every corner of it. And we are yours your beloved image bearers. We pray for your spirit to lead us, your pillar of cloud by day and your pillar of fire by night. Open our eyes to see your presence. We pray for your spirit to provide for us manna as daily nourishment and living water from unexpected sources. Open our hearts to receive these gifts from you. Turn our grumbling into thankfulness. Turn our fear into deep-seated joy. And allow the unfamiliar to produce humility. Instead of clinging to the comfort of the past, give us courage to embrace the wildness that is found in following you. And shape us to be a people, holy, loved, and yours. In Jesus' name. Amen.